tech world, we like to celebrate the lone genius, but I'm just going to tell you right now, Steve Jobs, Elon Musk, you know, Jeff Bezos, they didn't do it by themselves. They're just the convenient face as founders to focus on. The voice you just heard was that of Dirk Elmendorf. Now, if you're a student of Rackspace, then that name should sound somewhat familiar to you. Dirk could be classified as a serial entrepreneur, but I think he might classify himself as a serial team builder and a problem solver. The teams that Dirk have built have shown some strong consistencies from being empowered to succeed and sometimes to fail, as well as the proven ability to align around a mission. See, regardless of the type of business being built, their success rides or falls on the success of its teams. Now let's hear how this desire to impact has manifested itself in Dirk's career. Welcome to Cloud Talk. Here's your host, Jeff Diverter. There are a few things that we have to do in life that we really just don't have to do very often, but some of them are really important. And uh, as it turns out, since you don't do it very often, you're not very good at it. One example, finding a job. Now, we pick this problem apart a little bit. Some people can land them relatively easy based on a big fat resume of experience and education, but there's a whole lot of people in this world who lack something in that area. To talk about that a little, I want to welcome Dirk to the program. Dirk Elmendorf, everyone. Thank you for having me. Hey, glad you're here. Dirk, uh, so you've got a little startup, don't you? Tell me about that startup. Yes, yeah, so it's called Jobward. Think of it as moving forward or moving Jobward. We like it as a verb, right? And, and when we look out at the marketplace, there are lots and lots of tools out there to help businesses sort through resumes and figure out who shouldn't be let in the door. And Jobward is on the other side. Our mission is around helping job seekers navigate the hiring process, which, as you've said, it's a lot more complicated to job seek in the modern era than it was even just a few years ago. And given the current pandemic, you're competing with even more people than ever before. It's incredible. I mean, uh, I've got a little personal experience. Maybe it's a family member who uh, is in this boat right now trying to figure out what the next job is. And, you know, some people just even have trouble breaking out an an Excel or or a a spreadsheet of any sort and keeping track of everything that they've done or even know what they should do and how to follow up. But uh, but you're, you're working on helping to solve that. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's amazing. Like, I kind of joke that like spreadsheets are software development. If we'd learned nothing in the last twenty five years, yeah. right? There's no tests. There's no no visibility. There's no source code control. But have at it. Yeah. Those are the tools you have. And when I worked with developers trying to find work, and they busted out spreadsheets, I knew there was a problem here. And so I'm like, <laughs> what if we what if we centralize this and help you play the game better? Because when I talk to people who run businesses. They want to find great talent, but they struggle. And it's because getting a job isn't the same as doing the job. And so we're trying to help make sure that the people who are good at it do a little better promoting themselves, frankly. That's good. So, you know, in these companies who are hiring, they're, they're building teams and, and team structure, team building. Uh, I mean, holy cow, you really have to focus on doing that right. Um, you know, there's, there's some good books on it out there. You know, first, you know, figure out what the seat is and then figure out who's going to be on the bus. What are your thoughts around, you know, building teams? You've, you've built a few things. We'll talk about some of those other things shortly, but what's, what's team building mean to you? Oh, I mean, I think team building is essential to play in the modern era. Like Mm. there's nobody who can be great at all the things. And, you know, I think in my experience, the more, the better you get at something, you got to trade that from somewhere else. And so I think teams allow you to get 
a company or an organization or an opportunity. And then you can be going, you can be great in all these aspects because you're not relying on one person to be great in all these aspects. <laughs> right. And I think that, that sometimes we like in the tech world, we like to celebrate the lone genius, but I'm just going to tell you right now, Steve, <laughs> Elon Musk, you know, Jeff Bezos, they didn't do it by themselves. They're just the convenient face as founders to focus on. Well, and it brings up a really interesting point because when you think about, you know, the person who's trying to build the team, you know, when you go back to how we started the conversation, that's somebody looking for a job is them being really sharp in who they are as a person, as well as what they bring to the table so that they know what they're looking for. And ideally somebody on the other side who's building the team is, is as correctly enunciated exactly what it is they're looking for. Well, I mean, that's a big part of the problem, right? Is figuring out, well, what exactly am I looking for? And, and then do you match those criteria? And, and in some job roles, people think of it as very regimented. Oh, I know exactly, like I have five other people who do this job. I want the exact same thing. But, you know, a lot of the organizations I work in are smaller teams. And that means that you're looking for people who can do certain specific things for sure, but, and then you get bonuses out of it. So for example, on the job board team, we, ha we have added in a designer who actually is, he always says like, yeah, I failed out of film school. And, and it turns out he's really a storyteller. And when we started, it was like, oh, well, we need you to do this design, but finding the stories of people who we're working with and, and really translating that into software is something that I can't do. Like I can do the software yeah. part, but not the story part. And it all of a sudden these other skills mattered so much that, that it's really helped. Well, and you really got to be self-aware about, again, what you were bringing to the table. So you just mentioned, you know, you're a software designer, uh, albeit you've also founded a few businesses along the way. So, you know, what has been, how did you approach knowing where your skill set was and where you would fit into those startups, some of them larger, some of them smaller, you know, and where did the business people fit in? How, tell me about the dynamic of working all that out. Well, I mean, I think I end up in a weird spot because I... Uh, shift to the side that is underrepresented. And so I am capable, like in a room full of technical people, I'm capable of being the business guy. And in a full room full of business guys, I'm uh, business people, I'm capable of being the technical person, right? And so I tend to gravitate towards whichever site is less staked out. And so in some organizations, I very much championed, you know, our revenue numbers, our sales outcomes, our fundraising. And in other places, it was more of an argument of how are we going to architecture this software? How are we going to build this and get it deployed and managed? And those are, you know, those are different parts of my same brain. It just turns out a lot of times uh, people don't get to do both or have an inclination towards both. But I think for me, it just it never seemed weird. <laughs> well, uh, it certainly played well for you over the years. And when we think about, you know, as a software designer, and if we just take somebody who's a pure software designer, someone's going to come along and they say, here is the stated problem. We'll call them requirements. Can you use software to solve that? Well, yes, I can. We'll go solve that. Now, what I think makes you super interesting in this flavor is with this software development brain, you're walking around looking at the world going, I see a problem and I see software being a solution to that because that's kind of consistent with your, with your, your resume. Yeah, no, I, I, I definitely like my medium is software. Like yeah. that is how I solve problems. And so obviously I tend to, I tend to select away from, uh, 
projects where it's like, oh, the solution to this is a drug study. Like that's uh, that's not for me, <laughs> right? I, I'm not sure how to, to navigate the world of the FDA. So, so I tend to focus on that, but it just turns out that this is a perfect time to have that lens because there's so much of the world is underserved. There isn't, you know, we can afford to build very niche software now and distribute it, but it, everybody doesn't have it. And I think that, that that has been a big shift over the last 10 years that you don't need you know, shrink wrap software from Office Depot to run your business. Sometimes you actually need something very, very specific to your air conditioning service company yeah. um, to, to really compete. Got it. Now, your last startup, uh, again, you, you saw an, an industry that was underserved with technology and thought, technology. Tell us a little about that one. Well, so, uh, so the last one I was in was called Brokerage Engine, and it was a back office system for real estate brokerages. And I met uh, two great partners, uh, Jay Cooper and uh, Brianne Alston, who were at a uh, Cooper Sotheby's real estate firm here mm-hmm. in San Antonio. And they, through Geekdom, got to me. And as I was talk- listening to them talk about the challenges of actually calculating commissions and managing the money and the deals, I was like, oh, like, I don't understand. Why do you have a system for this? And they're like, well, it's too complicated. And I'm like, oh, now you have my attention. <laughs> yeah. Right? Got your attention. Yes. Yeah. So tell us yeah. all for developer, developer, something's too hard. Yeah. And well, and, and sometimes, you know, that's because they haven't had a chance to really think about it in a systematic way and break it down. Right. And I think in our early meeting, what I realized is like in the real estate business, there is a bucket of, of money right? Think of it as like water. You pour it down the top and then it filters down into, into various different people's pockets. And so you have to track all the money and where it goes and why it went there. And then make sure everybody got exactly the right amount of dollars in their pockets. And when you get it wrong, um, there are several scenarios where the people who got extra don't tell you and you, and you may not know it. And so that is not a great way to live. And when I saw that, I was like, Oh, this is complicated and very niche, and I have real what we think of as industry experts who who are inside. There's a real opportunity here to do something, and I think that that you know we I called them the key. Like when I look at business SaaS, you know it's not enough to be great at building the software. You have to have somebody that the industry will trust. Right. Um, and this is a lesson I learned in a previous startup that like. It, me saying I know what to do with software is not how people who do business, are, they're not excited to talk to me. They're excited right. to talk to people who look like them. They're like, oh, you run a business just like mine. Now I will listen to you. And that's, and that's what we found. Well, that's interesting. So that one, and then there was uh, another one before that in the transportation uh, industry. Tell us a little bit about that one because I'm so going trucking, somewhere with this. Okay. So trucking office, and that was really focused on surprise back office stuff for small trucking companies. And it's again, a case where, you know, uh, the trucking industry, you know, goes boom and bust with the shipping world, right? As our economy crashed, you know, the, the trucking industry took a really a hard hit. And then as it rebuilt, you had all these people who are like, okay, now I'm doing more loads. I need to figure out how do I run my business and make sure that I'm, um, I'm, I'm collecting all the money that I'm owed to. Cause they have this complicated problem that, the people shipping stuff on your truck may only pay you every 30 days, but you better pay the driver every two weeks or he's going to leave you. And so you have to make sure that you're on top of your cash flow game or you're in trouble. And we, again, like my partner, Ron Campbell and his son, Alan Campbell, Alan was the trucker. And he, so I saw, oh, the trucker gets us into the market. And then we like, they had tried to do this earlier and then we kind of rebuilt it and I was like, oh, now people say, is there an app for this? And in trucking, trucking office is the app. 
Mm, super interesting. So when you look at those two startups, you, you saw a back office business problem uh, that needed to get solved. When we, now we pull it back up to JobWord. JobWord has a, seems to me, a more tangible impact on what could be an incredibly wide audience of people in their own productivity and well-being and employment. And, and I'm wondering how much that factored into your desire to, to jump into this market. Well, so I, I try to learn, and actually one of my mentors, uh, Graham Weston, asked me, you know, as I was trying to figure out what the next thing, he goes, what did you learn from the last startup that you're going to apply to this one? Yeah. And I was like, oh, I, I tried to do that, but I never had to ask, you know, to point blank. And I'm like, well, the thing I learned from both Trucking Office and Brokerage Engine is that businesses take time to decide they have a problem Mm -hmm. that they need a solution and that they're willing to change their ways. It just takes time. And when I was younger, I was willing to grind that out. And I'm a little more impatient as I get older. And what I realized is I could go help businesses solve some of the hiring problems, but the people who are looking for work are very motivated to change their behavior today, right now. And so I'm like, oh, I can help people and do something good and I can actually figure out whether I'm onto something. In, in the business SaaS world, you, it takes a long time before you realize whether you're on track or off track. It's hard to get the feedback you really need. Yeah. And in this way, I, I kind of solve, I solve the problem of how do I get feedback? And also I solve the problem of how do I do something that is good? I, I haven't solved the third leg of the stool, which is how do I make money? But, you know. Maybe we'll get to that. Maybe we'll get to that one eventually. Um, so here, we've just covered three different startups that you've been through. Uh, I think you know not a lot of people bounce have gone through many startups like that, but a lot of people will go either from department to department or from one company to another, just as you know somebody doing a job for a company. But it begs the question, when is it time to leave? When is it time, whether it's something you started or you're a team member of, we were talking earlier about that and you had some really interesting thoughts around, around about, about that. So, you know, what are your thoughts there? Well, I mean, you know, for me, a big portion of it has to do with the team I'm on and how I contribute, right? Mm. Like I have this uh, strong desire to be both at the kind of strategic and tactical level. And as you, as organizations get bigger, they tend to separate those two strategic yes. people over here, tactical people over here. And so I, I don't function great in big organizations because I kind of want to do both. Right. And then in the smaller startups I've been in, um, some component of it is like, figuring out what do I contribute and how do I, am I able to really make this better? Like for an example, in trucking, um, you know, there were things I was interested in, but the market, it just didn't line up with the market. And instead my partner was like, maybe, maybe this is for us to kind of build and figure out where to go. And then, and, and that's what, what we did. So I ended up leaving there and inside brokerage engine, you know, it's, it's another case where I started to see, oh, there were these external forces that was going to make it go faster. As like, as I get older, I have more of a clock and I realized, oh, this is going to take a little longer than I thought. I don't want to be, I don't want my impatience to distract the business. So I recruited other people to take over my technical roles so that they could still go and, and succeed. And they're like, both businesses are still doing well. That's wonderful. But the majority of your time right now spent over in JobWord. Yes. Like basically if I, I'm either working on, I'm the current chair of the witty museum board. And so if it's not witty time, it's job time. That's amazing. Awesome. 
So there was one other startup I think you were a part of. And as I have told that story a little in the past, it was, and I've grossly simplified it. So I, I look forward to your input here. Is it was a business built on the predication that, uh, maybe not in day one, but, but, but by year two, that uh, the business was built on the fact that a server could be turned on and made available and made to run better than it could anywhere else in the world in, in 14 days as opposed to the 14-week standard that was in the industry at the time. So so we actually, we had it in a week in the first, like, six months. Wow. And that that was in the SLA? Yeah. Well, I don't know that we had an SLA, but that's what we were driving at. Like, I think we got better about our SLAs later. Yeah. Uh, As we we were trying to prove more of a point of how how serious we took it, right? Rather than... You know, there were, there were some, I will admit, there were some business v engineering arguments about what does 100% of Soleil mean yeah. when that is impossible to do. And the business side said, yeah, but we're trying to say we care enough to try and do it right. and we'll make it up if we don't. And, and you know, that I, over time, they, were, they, they won me over on that argument. And they got you. What was the name of that company? Well, at the time, it was called Rackspace. Yeah. <laughs> I think we, what, what is it officially called now? Rackspace Technology. Okay, see, I knew. I was like, after the after going public, I'm like, you have a new you have a new modifier. Um, so yeah, we were we were we were just Rackspace at the very beginning. Rackspace.com. Like dot, I used dot, to joke, like and there was an era when you had to say dot com after everything. Right, um, and, and and it meant something too. It was like ooh yeah. dot com. Yeah, oh, fancy. Yeah, so, it's, it's it's been funny to go through that because like. We briefly looked and had jobword.io because that was like a startup-y thing. Yeah. But the IO India Ocean thing is having some EU Brexit uh, concerns. Right. So we we got, we have jobword.app. I'm like, I have a, a modern TLD. So like, you know, the world, like it's still, there's still fashion to all this stuff. There is. It, it just kind of keeps coming around. Coming around. So you as one of the core founders in creating Rackspace, which is now a multi-billion dollar company. It's been around for about 22 years. How does it feel as somebody to be a founder of something that still is thriving and doing well? Uh, I'll say like successful parent. You know, like I, you know, I, I accumulate a lot of credit that I don't deserve as a founder where I get credit for things that I, I don't get credit for some things I did and get credit for things I had nothing to do with, but like, I'm excited to see that it grew way beyond what I was capable. I mean, yeah. people are like, are you surprised? I'm like, surprised. I was surprised when I was there, how far it got. <laughs> All right. So you opened a door and I'm going to go charging right into it because I still work there. Uh, I've got about 10 and a half years of, of time here. And, um, but you said some stuff you got credit for and some stuff you didn't. What is something you didn't get credit for that you, you know you, you still hear the name Rackspace and you go, but I did that thing and nobody said anything. Um. Well, okay. So here's something that I will take credit, and I don't know how it is now. Okay. Right, because yeah. I haven't I haven't spent as much time. But um, does Rackspace still have a very lax dress code? Yes. It ebbs and flows based on leadership and how far up you go. But if you are a tech and you're mid-range, yeah, we're, we're lucky to see shoes. In some cases it's pajamas. Yeah. So, so that's me. Yeah. And I did that on two levels. Like I used to have the recruiting people send people in their most formal outfits. And then I would show up in shorts and t-shirt with no shirts and shoes and say, Hey, you know, that this is the, if you get a job here, this is the last time you have to wear that. 
Like it's over <laughs> after this, right? And and I had to go to bat with the board one time where they were like, can't we make them dress up more? And I'm like, look, you just tell me a benefit you give employees that they love, that they use to promote us, and it costs us nothing, and we should do all of those. And it turns out dress code is an area where that all hits. And so they didn't, they, I'm glad to see that there's, now, later I found that like salespeople feel better with a dress code because they want to f- be fancy and they don't want to feel bad about it. And so, you know, it doesn't mean that you have to be a slob. It means you can be who you are. And I think, yeah. but I think that's, that was, you know, part of our original thought process was, look, you know, we're not going to get to see our customers in person. We're going to be responsible for their internet livelihood be comfortable because you're going to leap into action. <laughs> and that's what matters. I love that. I love the fact that it was purposeful. And now it's just, I can't even say it's part of the culture. I just say it's part of the DNA. Yeah. Which is amazing. Yeah. What's something you get credit for that you'd rather maybe just sort of say, can we stop talking about that, please? Well, I mean, look, I, I don't, I, I, I don't know that I want to stop talking about it, but I think that, you know, Rackspace is a perfect example of why the founders aren't the, the alpha and the omega of everything, right? Mm. Like the founders didn't come up with fanatical service, like fanatical support that yeah. that came from an early hire. And it was a good idea that we have run with now for 20 years. Yeah. So, so I, I obviously would never want to not talk about it because it's so, it's so it's still in some ways heretical in the technical industry to think about how people feel and all this stuff. <laughs> um, but, but it wasn't our idea. Right. And so I think that that's something that is so essential to Rackspace's success, yeah. but didn't come out of the founders. And, mm-hmm. and I think that highlights the fact that, you know, to our earlier point, teams matter. Like recruiting yeah. and people who add on matters because your best ideas, you know, it's, it's more about the ideas you recognize than the ones you have, I think, is, is over the term. Right. Matters. Being able to curate the right ones regardless of where they came from. Yeah. So, so we talked earlier about ideas, about when you, when you leave a company or leave a team. And, and for us to have that conversation about when is it time to go from one startup to another is one level of something. But when you left your day-to-day around Rackspace, I mean, we're talking about a company with revenue and were we in the billion? Was that around 2012? I think we crested uh, a billion at that point. Yeah. So this, yeah, there's a company that, that's growing pretty, pretty massively, but at that, but Take us through the thought process of, I think it's time for something new. Well, I mean, you know, look, I loved Racks. I mean, I, I think, you know, I have kids now, so I can think about the parenting analogies. Yeah, like, it's a great I analogy. really, I loved Rackspace. I still love Rackspace. But what I started to realize as it got bigger is I got worse at getting anything done there. And I could have big ideas, but I needed to win over teams or departments to get anywhere. And it just turns out that's not... Uh, it's not my gig. I'm not good at that. And so I started to go, well, if I stay, am I, e- I'm either going to just be purely ceremonial, which is not what I, it's not my nature, yeah. or I'm going to become, um, like a negative agitator. I'm going to mm-hmm. take my frustration out on people who have, it has nothing to do with, and that is neither outcome sounded great to me. And so, you know, eventually I realized, oh, this isn't like, most of the time you're not fortunate enough to get to choose, right? Like the company says, go away or it fails or whatever. In this case, Rackspace was like, yeah, Rackspace was like, Dirk, you can just stay here and just sit. Like, we just like you. Right. And I'm like, uh, that, you know, 
that, that would be cool if that's who I was, but it just turns out that I'm not, that's not a gear I have yeah. and I'm going to go insane and you're going to hate me. And why don't we leave while we're all friends? And that's kind of what I did is I was like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I know that I need to get back to things where I feel like I have a direct impact. And that's kind of how, when I left, then I formed a small team and we, we ended up pursuing trucking office because I'm like, Oh, I know that my fingerprints are on the impact on these small businesses. And I yeah. care about what happens to these trucking companies and, 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 and each, each business, that is a very important part to me that, that there is a, it can't, it's not just software. It's software that actually impacts the real world and, and makes lives better. Like Rackspace has made people's lives better because we enabled them to to consume technology that they wouldn't otherwise, you know, it, it's not just about getting the server. It, originally it was just about getting the server. Eventually yeah. it was about, Hey, when things go bad, when they go bump in the night, Rackspace has your back. And mm. that was a very unusual claim to make. And it still is actually. It really is. Uh, not a lot of people have the, that passion about uh, a customer's end application because it's their livelihood, whether it's huge or not in their organization, it impacts other people. And, uh, and Rackers really care. There's, that is bred into them. Yeah. And, I, and, I, and that emotional connection, it, it gets you through what is a whole lot of, you know, boring and droll work that just has to be done. You know, like I, my, my wife got me this book. Uh, I think it was called like the $48 tomato. It's about a master gardener and all these challenges. And I, you know, I was like, maybe I'll start gardening. I read this book and I'm like, there was no part of that book that sounded fun to me. I was <laughs> like, I, I'm not cut out for it. Now at the time I brewed beer and i when I finished it, I went out and I cleaned 20 uh, Coke kegs that I had gotten really cheap on eBay that were filthy. And I was like, Oh, this is the same thing in my brewing book. People are like, Oh my gosh, you're like, you've got spiders and stale Coke all over you. I'm like, yeah, but this is going to be a brew day. I'm excited. Yeah. And so the same sort of thing is like having that connection to say, Oh, I know where this is going. And, and I can see that like that mission really matters to me. And I, I didn't realize how fortunate I was to be in a company like Rackspace where the mission mattered so much that it's driven me to continually find a mission as a North Star in the other things I do. Yeah. So Rackspace over the years, you know, since you've left, there are some things that have really, I think they, they've stuck so well. So mission still matters. We've, we've just recodified that. The core values still matter. They've evolved over time because t- people evolve over time. Companies evolve over time. So they're still, they, they keep them evergreen. It's, it's impressive. And the other thing I thought was super interesting is how they keep dragging the founders back for Rookie O sessions. Uh, the commitment to heritage is important. What does it feel like to keep going back? Of course, I don't know if we do it anymore. Uh, yeah. Eventually, I made a deal with Pat Condon, one of the other founders, that when he wanted to stop, or if we one of us if one of us wanted to stop, we would just both stop. We wouldn't stick the other person on their own. And so we eventually stopped. I think I want to say like 2015. Okay, like we did it a long time, a long after time, we were gone. because because it was a place I could see the. Actually, I. I could, at the time I felt like here's a way I can still have an impact because I didn't Mm. want people showing up at Rackspace saying it's a baked cake. Everything is done. I can just, you know, whatever, you know, I wanted you to understand that your founders were not geniuses, that there's still opportunity here. And actually I was just on a call, uh, before I got on this with a bunch of Rackers talking about technology. Mm. And one of the Rackers said in 2015, you did my rookie O, um, I made some life changes in 2012, where I gave up drinking and donuts and I tried to get healthy so that I could live. And you talked about that on stage and I lost a hundred pounds and I'm here today because of that 
moment. And I was like, wow, you know, all this time I thought I was hoping I was having impact, but literally 30 minutes ago, I am reminded, no, I hadn't, I was able to have an impact. That's why we did it. And, and it feels good to know that that is true. Incredible. So obviously that experience, you were able to pour your heart and soul into it and it is continuing to impact who you are. What are some of the lessons learned, things that work, things that didn't, that you've, t- you've, you've pulled forward also into those other startups or just into life? Um, well, you know, one of the things that I think is challenging in the technology industry, just, you know, to stay in the game, like you, you eventually, like you get really good at some stuff and you want to just keep doing that stuff because you're going to continually deepen your mastery, but then the world may move and they don't need it. Right. There aren't travel agents. There aren't record stores. Like they're just, the world changes. And so you have constantly a choice of saying, I'm going to sharpen my mastery or I'm going to go be an idiot and start over over here. And you kind of have to do both. Like you have to maintain some mastery, but then you got to constantly pursue the dumb moments where you're like, I don't know what I'm doing because this is so new or whatever. Um, You know, all of that stuff looks terrible when you start and you, you only learn by doing. And so I've continually tried to find ways to say, okay, I, I could do it this way. I know, but I've got to do it a new way to see what's going on, whether it's worth it. I mean, you know, I, I have my stuff for Jobber deployed in Kubernetes. That was not an idea I was familiar with a year ago, right? right? And, and, and it's a case where you have to keep juggling how deep versus how wide your expertise is because some of the things, like I, I remember uh, in the early days, Richard, you, one of the other founders, and I made this very scary presentation to Rackspace about an initiative coming out of Microsoft called Hailstorm. And it was like a nominal cloud play. Yeah. And I'm like, if they launch this thing, we are going out of business. They are going to cut, slit our throats. And we made a very scary presentation to leadership and, and wisely they blew us off. And Microsoft did not do anything. I don't even know if you can Google Hailstorm and find out what they were thinking. It never happened. Like eventually Microsoft realized it was better to just charge everybody than try and kill us. And so, <laughs> so it doesn't mean you're right. Like that's the downside is like I pick technologies. Like I, when my daughter was born, I was three months into writing a book on a technology that after after I kind of came back from paternity leave, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm not doing this technology. There's another thing that'll win. And I, I never finished the book. And like, that's the risk you take of these things. Incredible. Um, what one book do you think every team, every successful team should go read? You're a very well-read individual. So I thought I'd surprise that. Every, every, every team. Um, Wow. I guess, you know, it's, it's like, I can think through a Rolodex of all these other things, but I'm not sure what the team one is. Uh-huh. Wow. Uh, I, you may have stumped me. Cause I'm yes. like, wow, what do I have as a, what do I have as a reading for the team? Um, yeah, I, I don't, you got me. I don't know I off the top you. of my head. All right. Well, I'm putting that on my LinkedIn profile. Stumped yeah. so I'll, on a book. I'll, I'll probably find it later. Cause I was like, I'm like, yeah, when I think about engineers, I have it. And when I think about when you're starting, I have it, but I was like, as a team, what do you read? Like, um, okay. Here's a little behind the scenes. I don't know if you've listened to any of these episodes, but after this is over, there's a whole little prologue. I'll do it there. Post logger thing at the end, by the way, Dirk got back with me. Here's your book. Okay. So, okay great. You, you got a couple of days. Okay. Cause yeah, uh, partially because, you know, what I think is important and is challenging in this like COVID era mm-hmm. is that, um, the conversation is sacred. 
having the conversation between the team that you can be open and trusting and that you're really talking about what's really going on and what you're really trying to do. Like the closer, like one of the, like one of the most powerful teams in my life is that I work with my brother. I have worked with him for decades now. When we were kids, we did not get along, but as coworkers, we were amazing. And it's because, um, I know that when we talk, we are completely open about it, where we're at, what's wrong, what we could do better if we're not holding our own weight, like whatever it is, I trust that that's where we're at. And, and every, every team I'm on, I try to build enough kind of, um, psychological safety into it so that other people can join it because that's when you're, you're most productive when you're not kind of wondering, well, what will they think when I say this? Or how are they, um, how are they going to react if I try to push on this? Like the work is hard enough as it is without having to worry about all that. Right. Yeah. And so, so as, as a, as a team builder, my goal is to figure out how do I get everybody where it's like, look, Admitting mistakes is part of the gig. I admit my mistakes. You can admit your mistakes because we it, we it's better for us to know what's going on. I actually we actually kind of had like a little clapping thing when somebody took down production at Brokerage Engine because it was sort of like, hey, you you're real now because every <laughs> developer could deploy and sometimes they screwed up. And I'll tell you, they learned. They learn so much more from nobody likes it to be down. And, and, you know, I think I have it on my wall where it said like lessons that are hard earned are learned. And, and, and that's, you know, it's scary when you're like, Oh, I'm going to let anybody on the development team deploy. I'm like, yeah, we need to get there because everybody needs to understand what's at risk and what, what, what can happen. And, and then all of a sudden everybody's like, Oh, when you go, well, what about this? They go, Oh, well, this could happen. And like, yeah, you're thinking about it because you're going to be the one pushing the button. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can think of no better uh, sentiment to go out on on today's episode. Dirk, thank you so much. Uh, really has been insightful and I appreciate it. Appreciate all you've done uh, for Rackspace and excited about what you're doing in the community. So thanks for that. Absolutely. Thank you. This has been Cloud Talk. You can find Cloud Talk wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And be sure to check out more content from Rackspace Solve at solve.rackspace.com. Wow, what a treat to get to visit with one of Rackspace's founders, but also someone who's gone on to make such a big impact in the business world and also in the community through his service with the Witty Museum here in San Antonio. Now, I hope that you have a better appreciation through Dirk's comments of the importance of not only empowering your teams, but also what your role is on those teams and when it might be time to move on. Wise words from one very accomplished entrepreneur. By the way, I never did hear back from Dirk on a book that he would recommend for teams, but I'll give you one. It's one that we use all throughout the company here at Rackspace, and it's called Strengths Finder by Tom Rath. And they're coming out with a second version of it here in just the next few weeks. Now, it's one of the best resources for understanding individuals and how they best work on a team. Now, I want to let you know about a new resource coming to solve.rackspace.com, and it's a new quarterly ebook that we in the office of the CTO are publishing, and it's all about technology trends. And as I mentioned, it's going to come out quarterly, and our first one is about to be made available. So head over to solve.rackspace.com to download your copy. Now, in next week's episode of Clown Talk, we continue the Founder Series. Here's a sneak peek into that episode.
and this is back to that whole small business versus startup mentality, right? I, I, I am positive that there's people that are listening to this right now saying, why don't you go borrow $5 million and add 50 people, right? I will bet you a dollar that I could do that and that I could make them profitable and I could make, you know, this $100 million business in a very short order. But that's not who we are, right? I don't want to go be leveraged. I don't want if the economy crashes, I have to fire those 50 people. And that's next time on Comptop.